What in the world would ever happen in your life that would make you want to get out of bed on a morning like this and come to this place? What in the world would be going on inside of your life that you would take this day, the first day that we've had in like 50 years of 80-degree weather, and you would say, We're, we, we need to go to that really, really worn-down, ugly sanctuary on 12 South with the purple carpeting. What would be going on? Why would you do that? Would you do that because you have done this all, all your life? This is something that mom and daddy have taught me to do, and I'm a good southern boy. Doggone it, I got guns. I drink beer. And I go to church. That's the Holy Trinity. Is that why you're here? You're here? Are you here because it was a really long and really very, very immoral weekend for you? Where Friday night you did some things that you never thought you'd do ever in your life? You're a young college student who's a sophomore at whatever fill-in-the-blank school here in Nashville. And you said, man, I got to do, I, I got to get to church. I got to do penance. Maybe God will think I'm okay if I go and just punch the clock and spend an hour and a half with him. Maybe I'll get right with God. Come to Jesus. Is that why you're here? It's a really interesting question if you think about it. Because really, in many ways today, the message that I have for you is by no means entertainment, fun and exciting, challenging that'll make you want to leave out of here and say, man, I'm going to go now, be a man or woman of faith. It's not going to be that. The word of God this morning that's going to be preached to you is, the Bible says, sharper than any two-edged sword. And it weighs heavy on my heart today to think of you and to think of all of the stories that are in front of me and to know that I'm such a fragile, broken man that has to bring such a huge huge, big message that, to tell you the truth, I can't bring. I can't do, I can't do the work that I would love to, to do in your life. I can't do it. It's a completely supernatural thing. Do you understand what I'm saying? And some of the work that has to happen today actually is tied into why you would say you're here. And the one thing that I would encourage you, no matter why you're here this morning or what circumstance you're in, is for you and I to do this very simple thing, and it's this. 
I'm willing. And I need it. I'm here because I need. I need the word of the Lord that's sharper than any two-edged sword to pierce through the very conscience of my heart and mind. I need it. Let's pray. And with your heads bowed this morning, is that, is that where you're at? Could you do that this morning? Could I do that? Could we actually be in a state where we would open up our hearts in, a tr- in the truest sense and say, Lord, speak to me this morning? Do a work inside of my life this morning. Oh, Lord, let it be true. Let it be true of my life and of my friends' lives this morning. And as we approach your word with fear and trembling, we ask that you would use it to cut into us and to do the work that we so badly need done. We are a needy people. Many of us in this room, though, we don't even know that. We need you to reveal how much we need. So everything we need, we need from you. Lord, please, please help us in our need. Help us this morning as we talk about these really big things. Holy Spirit, come and speak and do the work that you do this morning. We pray in your name. Amen. Open up to 2 Peter this morning. If you have a Bible or around someone with a Bible, you can go ahead and open up to 2 Peter chapter 1. The mission statement of Midtown Fellowship Church is creating a movement of gospel transformation through multiple congregations. Let me say it again. Creating a movement of gospel transformation through multiple congregations. We are a church that is committed to really one thing, and that is seeing the gospel transform our lives. Somebody asked me a few weeks ago, what's the vision of Midtown Fellowship Church? The vision of Midtown Fellowship Church is very simple, and I, I would say it like this, that people's lives would be changed by the gospel, that in 20 years, we would look back and we would be able to tell 20,000 stories of people that have been shattered by the reality that God sent his son Jesus to die for our sins, and that because of that, now I am a changed man and changed woman We want the stories to be told. We don't really have big visions of grandeur, of building big buildings and doing all kinds of great things and you know all the things that could be talked about in church. That's great. Our vision is really, really simple, and it's really small, and it's about the people in our lives being changed by Jesus. That's the vision, and that's the mission. It's the same thing. Peter here in 2 Peter talks about In verse 3, he talks about encapsulated form. He gives us the gospel starting at verse 3. And I want to go back and talk about this because this is a series we're going to be in for the next couple of weeks. We've already been in this. I know Russ began to unravel some of this last week. Look there in verse 3 of 2 Peter chapter 1 and follow with me. It says this, his divine power has given us, has given us everything we need. Oh, what a power-packed verse this is. Everything we need for life and for godliness. Did you get that? 
brother and sister, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Massive ramifications just from that truth alone. Through our knowledge of him who called us, God called us by his own glory and goodness. We didn't have a chance of responding unless we were called by the Lord, by his glory, by his goodness. Verse 4, through these he has given us his very great and precious promises that through them you may participate in the divine nature. So now as a result of this calling and us by faith receiving Christ, now we actually can participate in the divine nature. God lives inside of us. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Look what it says. And escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. This is the verse we're going to concentrate on this morning. For this very reason, it says, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. Stop. Let's, let's read it again. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. I want to talk and split this up with what right, what's right in front of us today and this statement when, Paul, when Peter says, for this very reason, what he's really trying to do in a real quick way, let me give you this to you. He's trying to give us this statement is he's giving us a motive and a reason for why we would even add to our faith. He's trying to say, for this very reason, I want you to add to your faith goodness. For what reason? He's saying, well, you actually have a reason to do this. We have been given divine power by God. As a result of our regeneration, we have been given everything we need for life and godliness. Think about that. He has called us out of his own goodness. It's a gift that there's no way that we could have earned to receive, but it's a gift out of his own goodness. And now we get a chance to participate in the divine nature. What does that all mean? We'll talk about it a little bit. But the thing I want you to know is that God has moved. I was once a slave before Christ, and so were you. I was a slave to sin and a slave to evil. I was a slave. Do you understand what I'm saying when I say it? Saying I'm a slave? A slave is completely under the tyranny of a master. Before Christ, I was completely under the tyranny of the master of sin and evil. Hopeless, destitute, a dead man with no ability to even look at God. The Bible says that for all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. That no one is righteous, not even one. I didn't even have the ability to even consider God, but God sent his son Jesus on a manhunt to find me and you if you're in Christ this morning. He sent Jesus on a successful manhunt. If you're in Christ today, God's love, by the way, for us, God's love will never be frustrated for his children. If he chose you and called you, you will be saved. That's all there is to it. Man's will, I cannot, viol I cannot violate or frustrate God's will for me. That's impossible to even understand when you think about the sovereignty of who God is. So I have to be a man who understands that God actually will come and move against my will 
he will actually give me the gift, give me the yearning to even turn to him in faith and say, I believe. That's how bad it is. That's how hopeless it was. That's how destitute it was. That's not new to many of you. Some of you it may be. But God saw me, though, and he saw you. Remember this, young lady. Remember this. God saw you in that manhunt. God's pursuit of you on hot on your trail. And some of you today, maybe you don't know God, but you may be feeling that the Lord is breathing right on your heels in your life right now. And wherever you're at, you may be feeling the hot breath of the Lord on the back of you. Because he sees us. He sees us in our blindness, in our hopelessness, in our lostness, and he shows us mercy by giving us his son, Jesus. That's what the reason is. That's what Paul's saying when he says, for this reason. Understand, all these things have happened for a reason. For this reason, for what God's done in providing you a son, this is how now I want you to act. Remember that behavior always has a motive. Christ has bought us. The idea of Christ buying men and women for himself is an idea which runs through the whole New Testament. In 1 Corinthians 7, it says this, For he who has called, he who was called in the Lord as a slave is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was freed when called is a slave of Christ. So actually, and it says in verse 23, you were bought at a price. It's interesting. Because before you came to know Christ, you're a slave to sin and evil. And now that you've come to know Christ, you're actually a freed slave to Christ. Think about that. And you look at me today, I want to be a, I don't want to be a slave to no one. But this means a couple of things. It means a lot of things. It means that Christ has purchased us. And because he's purchased us, hear me when I tell you, we belong absolutely to Christ, and we are under his rule. That's enough for that. That's enough for the for this reason. I want to talk about this next piece. It'll probably be the biggest piece of our, of our time this morning, and it's this next piece of this verse. Look where it says there. Peter says, for this reason, that reason he gives us above there in verses 3 and 4. Look what it says. Make every what does your Bible say? What does it say? I'm, I'm asking. What, is, what does your Bible say? Make every what? Effort. That was a hard effort for you to give me that. Let me ask you a question. How many things in your life do you give everything to? Oh, okay. Okay. Let's, let's ask one before that one. What does everything look like? If I give everything to something, help me. What does everything look like? What? A lot of time. Money. <laughs> Nobody wants to talk about that in church. Time, money. What else? If I give everything, what else? Thoughts, sure. What else? Affection, what? Emotional energy. Thank you, Price. Emotional energy. So if that's the truth that you give your time, your money, your affections, your emotional energy, 
What is it then right now, if you were to stop and think about it, what is it right now in your life that you give everything to? Kids? Is it kids? Is it your job? Is it your bank account? Is it your boyfriend? Is it your girlfriend? Is it your freedom? Is it your diet and the way your body looks? Is it your image and what people think of you? What is it in your life that you give everything to? Because the description here, when it's talking about making every effort, that's the description that Peter's trying to get us to understand. At this point, you're putting everything into this. He's saying, all my chips are pushed in on this issue. All my chips make every effort to add to your faith. He's talking about this concept of every you put everything you've got into it. Think about that for a minute. Do we do that with our faith? I don't. I think many times our faith is uh, illustrated by a young lady who finally got a date with the dream man, however she understood that. Tall, good looking, had all the money, had a great career path, was kind and sensitive, an artist at one point, and brave heart the next. I mean, just the fulfilling picture of everything you could possibly imagine. And sure enough, as they were dating, she, boy, she worked hard. She looked good. She worked hard on looking good. Every date, she wanted to make sure that when he came over to pick her up, the apartment looked clean. Her car looked clean. Man, our car's bad. Her face looked great. Spent a lot of time on makeup, painting the barn. Got all the girls hating me now. Sure enough, they fell in love. They fell in love and talked, began to talk about marriage, and they got married. And the honeymoon was so fantastic. The honeymoon lasted for longer than just the two weeks. Everything was fantastic about their life. But sure enough, after the honeymoon, after about seven, eight months, all that energy that happened with all that painting of the barn, all that energy that took place in cleaning the apartment, all the energy that took place in all the areas, just kind of begins to wane. People would say, she let herself go. <laughs> so many of us, actually, I think that's what Peter's talking about here, because many of us have what we would call an after-the-honeymoon kind of faith. Kind of lays in a stagnant state. It was maybe this emotional experience at one point. It was maybe more than an emotional experience at one point, but for some reason, after the honeymoon now, it kind of lays lifeless. It's a little bit lazy. Maybe some people would call it sleepy. 
In fact, when I talk with many of these married couples about this issue, do you know what many of them say to me after the honeymoon? They say this, well, if, if he would only get his act together, or if she would only get her act together, then maybe this thing would go somewhere. There's this deep-seated belief system of this. Now, follow this now. There's this deep-seated belief system of this. It's always in my life about them. If they do this right, if they do this right, then I'll be okay. So it's other-centered. It's them-centered. And I think that's exactly the way it is with our faith. Follow. Follow the metaphor and the comparison. Because we say things like this. Well, if God would only get his act together and show up unannounced in my living room, or if God gives me a peace about it, everybody loves using that word, that statement. That's a huge big one. God gives me a peace about it. By the way, what in the world does that look like? Let me tell you what that looks like for most of us when we say, if God gives me a peace about it. In other words, I'm putting it all on God. If God gives me a peace about it. A peace about it is, for almost all of us, smooth highway, baby. That's how peace is always equated. If every, it's, it's, that's, that's what God's peace would be. If everything's going to be smooth from this time out, it couldn't be possibly any, any issues or problems or suffering in it, but it would look like that. Think about it. What's peace look like? Does peace look like, oh, it's, this, it's just this kind of this, this euphoric feeling, dude. That comes over me when I'm walking in Severe Park. It's like I hear the birds of the air. And like see Jesus sitting on a branch. Waves his hands over me and I just feel this peace about sleeping with my girlfriend. Do you know that that was an exaggeration? But you wouldn't believe how many people come close to that when they talk with me. It's as if they've interpreted peace as their own feelings about whatever it is. That's a really easy thing to do, isn't it? It's an easy thing for me to push off in my life and to say, it's about my wife, or it's about my husband, or it's about God. It makes God perform for me. It's exactly what C.S. Lewis is talking about in his book, God in the Dock. Yeah, God, if you show up in my living room, if you give me a piece about it, or if you give me a feeling, or if you draw me a perfect road map, and this is what Peter is challenging us, us with, and he's, he's saying this, your faith isn't about sitting around and waiting for God to do his work while you go out and have smoke break. That's lazy faith, and that's careless thinking about your faith. Think about this, young person. God has already done his work. He has given you the gift of faith that literally I want you to understand is like right here and it is absolute plutonium. It is ready to completely and utterly explode. It's the most wonderful thing that you could have possibly ever received in your life. The treasure that you have in your faith is unbelievably wonderful. 
We've been given everything we need in this faith for life and for godliness. Everything we need. You mean to tell me that even in my struggle and even in the issues that I have as a young person or an older person, that everything God, God's given me everything even for that? The answer is yes in Christ. Yes in his word. Yes, he has. You mean to tell me that I don't have to, I don't have to wander around anymore trying to fix it and find an answer and try to, try to do all these crazy things and mind-bending, life-bending things that we do to try to find the answer to my hurt, to my sadness, to my woundedness? You actually mean that Christ has given me everything for life and godliness? The answer is yes in Jesus Christ. Yes, yes. But I don't believe that. I struggle believing that. So what Peter is talking about here is he's talking about, I want you to understand when he says, make every effort to add to your faith. The effort he's trying to get us to understand is a little bit like kind of, hey, come on, you have a part to play here. Your faith isn't this stagnant thing. And I'm not so sure that he's looking at us saying, I want you to go back to the honeymoon faith. I think he's saying I, there's this mature way of thinking about this and considering it and swallowing it and applying it that's a lot different than how we're thinking about it and swallowing it and applying it. He's talking about a very intentional, now follow this, a very purposeful interaction with the grace of God in our lives. A very purposeful interaction with the grace of God in our lives. Something that we, we're really, really purposeful about our faith and this gift that we've been given. We're purposeful about our time. We're purposeful about our money. We're purposeful about our, our, our relationships. And as a result of this interaction, we say to ourselves, it's worth every penny. It's worth it all because of what Christ has done for us. It's worth every single penny. Let me give a side note here and talk to you because I'm kind of talking to you about an issue that is a, a big issue kind of here that I talk with some of you about I don't know, in an offline kind of way. But I want to talk to you a little bit about this statement. Everybody's talking about kind of spiritual guide. I have my spiritual guide. There's a lot of spirituality here in Nashville. Kind of talking about that whole concept. Let me, let me make sure that I, I, I really clear up something for you here. Let me tell you the truth about spiritual formation. Spiritual formation is not about trying to understand our past and understand our weaknesses and understand our personality and understand our gifts. Spiritual, uh, spiritual formation, Christian spiritual formation is focused entirely on one thing, and that one thing is Jesus Christ. Bottom line. The goal of spiritual formation is the same thing, Jesus Christ. Conformity to Jesus Christ. My faith is the thing that is the engine that helps me conform to the image of Jesus Christ. Some of you have, I've heard this, some of you have spiritual guides or friends that I call spiritual guides. And the way that they're guiding you, they don't have a Christology. Do you know what I'm saying when I say Christology? Christology is the study of Christ. They don't have a theology of Jesus and who Jesus was and is and what he does. 
Everything in your life revolves around Jesus. It all comes back to Jesus, Jesus Christ, Jesus. So if there's a person in your life that's guiding you and you're actually swallowing the advice and regurgitating it in your life and it's outside of Christ and conforming to the image of who Jesus was as revealed in the scripture, you probably should go the other way. Dallas Willard, one of my favorite authors, says this. As we interact with the grace of God, this idea of making every effort, as we interact with the grace of God, as we are spiritually formed in Jesus, I love this, listen to this. Remember, aim not first to act differently, but to become different in our inner being. We are not learning how to be nicer versions of our old selves we're dealing radically with the fundamental wrongness of our flesh and introducing the righteousness of Christ. Enough about spiritual formation. What else? Let me finish this by saying, what else is Peter trying to get to when he's talking about making every effort? Let me give you one. Peter's talking to us here, and this is really hard. Because Peter's talking to us here about doing the hard work of completely trusting in the sufficiency of God and completely trusting in our own insufficiency. Did you hear what I just said? That's hard work. That's very hard work in this world. Some of the hardest work you're gonna, you're gonna face in your faith is the fact that you are not God. One night, a house caught fire, and a young boy was forced to uh, flee the roof. Father stood on the ground below with his outstretched arm. Some of you have probably heard this before. And he was calling to his son, and he said to his son, Son, jump. I'll catch you. He knew the boy had to jump to save his life. And all the boy could see was flame and smoke and blackness around him. And as you can imagine, he was afraid. He was afraid to leave the roof. And his father kept yelling, son, jump, I'll catch you. But the boy finally protested and said, daddy, I can't see you. And the father replied, but I can see you. And that's all that matters. If the truth be told, and if we were to really speak the truth about our lives and our hearts, follow this. We despise the areas of our lives that we have to jump into the Father's arms. Our lives can be burning up around us, and yet we are afraid to leave the roof of our own wisdom and our own sufficiency. If the truth be told, if we're to really boil it down to the core, the fact of the matter is, is that I despise the fact that I would actually have to trust completely in my Lord for everything. Think about it. Everything. 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 I don't have that kind of trust. I can trust in this guy right here. Because doggone it, I've done it in the past. I've really messed up a lot in the past too. But I'll just go on my successes. 
I can have faith in that. I want you to know something, my friend. That's diabolical that I believe that. It really is. That I could actually put my faith in me, a sinner saved by grace. So, the next part, what is faith? How do we think about faith? Is faith, as, we, as Paul talks here, he says, make every effort to add to your faith. I want to talk to you about faith real quick. Is faith just mental assent to Jesus? Yeah, I'm saved. Yeah, washed in the blood, forgiven. Is it this Christian upbringing with all this language attached to it? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. All things work together for good, man. Go to church, read your Bible, pray every day. Don't swear, don't drink, don't smoke. Don't sleep with your girlfriend. Be good, be nice, do right. Okay. Is that it? Is that, is that what some of you think faith is? If that's true, it's a very small view. Is faith just something I use to get what I want in God? Doggone it, I want that promotion at work or I want more money, so now I'll use faith. I'll pull it off the shelf and just kind of use it as a commodity. I'll just say, okay, now I'm going to go to God and God, I really want that promotion. You say you give me the desires of my heart. Come on, deliver. Is that what faith is? Or is it something that is using me to get what it wants? Hebrews 11 says, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. For Peter, faith is the conviction. And I'm closing on this. Just a few last thoughts, please. Faith is the conviction that what Jesus Christ says is true. Did you get it there? Did you get the emotion of it? Did you get the soundness of it? Did you get the, the, the impact of it? For Peter, faith is this conviction that what Jesus Christ says is true, that the truth is the utter certainty that we can commit ourselves to his promises and we can launch ourselves on his commands. Did you hear what I said, young brother and young sister? That's faith. It's finally coming down to the fact of your life, and many of you are fighting this battle right now, and you're going to fight it for a long time probably. But however, maybe there's a few that need to finally just come to the fact of just absolutely giving up and saying, I'm done. I'm at the end of myself. I can't do it anymore. It's like the prodigal. I want, I'm in the pit. I'm looking at the pigs. I'm, e, I'm coming. He, the Bible says he came to his senses. I'm coming to the end of myself where I have now decided my utter certainty, exactly who I'm going to trust in is this God who has provided Jesus for me, and I believe it, and I'm going to step into it. Are you going to have some of those days where you're going to have struggle with it? Sure. But for Peter, that's what he's talking about when he's talking about your faith. There's a story told about a man who fell off a cliff, but he managed to grab a tree limb on the way down. And the following conversation ensued. Is anyone up there? 
I am here. I am the Lord. Do you believe me? Yes, Lord, I believe. I really believe. But I can't hang on much longer. That's good. If you really believe you have nothing to worry about, I will save you. Just let go of the branch. A moment, pause, and this is what the man said. Is there anyone else up there? Isn't that what we believe? It couldn't possibly, could it? It couldn't, like if you're a young person who, who grew up in the church, and I'm talking to you right now, it couldn't actually possibly all be true, could it? Could it? Are we so anesthetized to our past and what we've been given by mom and daddy that we, we don't even believe this, this, what I'm telling you is true? Could it possibly be true? Could it? Could it actually mean something for you? Could it? You believe that? Luther said this about faith. Faith is a living, busy, active, and powerful thing. It is the well-founded confidence in the grace of God, so perfectly certain that it would die a thousand times rather than surrender its conviction. Lastly, add to your faith goodness. There's a truth that Peter's trying to communicate about his faith, about our faith. Yes, it's supposed to be alive and active, but it's supposed to be a beautiful thing for the world to see. As most of you know, I have four daughters, and we grew up in the day when we had, especially my older daughters, when we would go on trips, we didn't have the video, the, like TVs in the, in the head, headrest. That's like unbelievable. I saw somebody like down here on Woodmont the other day commuting with their kid in the back looking at, you know, Barney or whatever it is. I'm, you know, I mean, we didn't have that. So y we, had, we had the best thing, though. We had coloring books. So we'd give the, kid, the girls coloring books. And I remember after they would color... They would, they would get done, and they, was, they would always want to come to mom and dad and show us and say, see? And when, when Peter here is talking about the concept of adding to your faith goodness, maybe what, maybe what Peter's saying is, here, I've given you this faith, this beautiful picture and I want you to color it because I want your faith to be powerful and alive, but I want it, follow this, I want it to be beautiful to the world. And so here, take, take a blue crayon and color in goodness. And sh show the coloring book to your neighbors. Look, it's blue. I got goodness. Yeah, I did, I did a good thing. I obeyed the Lord today. I, Maybe self-control and the other things that follow. Maybe there are other colors. I, I, don't, I don't know. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you um, for the message of faith that I so badly need. 
Lord, I'm deeply convicted about my life because I I think that uh, I have a lot of faith in me and not a lot in you, even though you've given me this unbelievable faith. And I I continue to wander, as the song said. You know, I, I wander away from this truth. I think my friends do, too. I, 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 want, I want what you want, and yet I struggle doing that. And I, we need your strength to help us in that. pray, Lord, that uh, you would reveal to us what exactly you want to reveal to each of us inside of our lives, inside of our hearts. We pray this in your name. Amen.